Hello, welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Joining us today is a longtime uh, Burning Coal actor and um, uh, teacher at uh, William Peace University uh, and uh, mother and wife and many, many, many other things that uh, I suspect uh, I don't know about, but she does, and so she's going to tell us about it. Jen, welcome to Into the Fire. Hello, Jerry. I'm happy to be here. Excited. Well, I am too. I'm happy to have you back. There was a, a short period of time where you uh, you were missing from our stage and doing these things that people do sometimes involving <laughs> raising families and all that stuff. Uh, but we're, uh, we're happy to have you back um, and um, particularly happy to have you back in um, Carol Churchill's two uh, short plays, What If, If Only, and Air, um, yes. the first of which is a U.S. premiere and the second of which is a world premiere. So, uh, so we're delighted to have you uh, uh, in that. But let's start, um, start earlier on. Jen, you, you moved to Raleigh, what, 15 years ago, maybe from Atlanta. Is that correct? I did. So I moved here from Atlanta in 2003. Um, So yeah, about 19 years now. 19 years. And um, I had taken about a five, I take a hiatus periodically from theater and I had just taken a five year kind of sabbatical from acting. And um, then I came here and I had just a part-time job and um, teaching at um, Wake Tech. And then I was like, I'm really missing acting. And I saw an ad for Burning Coal and I went and that's the rest is history, right? <laughs> I, seem, uh, I seem to remember auditioning in the little warehouse up in North Raleigh. Is that- yes, the one that's up in North Raleigh. We were there the other day. They're still, it's, it's yeah. still an alive and kicking space. Well, I think some of the same dust is there now that was there. <laughs> you first I completely agree. First. My apologies <laughs> for that. Uh, no, no, I love that space. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so um, the first thing I think that you did for us um, was uh, Pentecost. Is that correct? Did no, that- the first thing was, um, it was really fascinating. It was, um, I think it was called Safe House. Oh, Safe House. Yes. Yeah, so- McCullough from Duke. Is it McCullough? Yeah, yeah. From uh, McAuliffe uh, from uh, Duke University. Yeah. And um, it was star it was me and I got to play a cultural cultural attache mm-hmm. and um it was with Derek, Derek remember Ivey. Derek yeah absolutely what's Derek's uh, last name again Ivy Derek yeah, Ivy he's, he's a fantastic actor and that was yeah. my first acting in Raleigh and I thought goodness gracious people can act here I mean he was so phenomenal it was yeah. just such a treat to work yeah. with him that and was with Jody. A, Jody's brilliant yeah she's uh, she works a lot uh and so does Derek. Um, uh, yes. Now, Jen, uh, that was uh, at the Kennedy uh, the- uh, Theater uh, yes. in the back of the Duke uh, Energy Performing Arts Center. Yeah. And, um, and then uh, you did uh, a number of other uh, shows with us over the years, and including our first production here mm-hmm. at the Murphy School Auditorium. Do you remember that 
uh, transition moving into the space for Inherit the Wind. I very much do remember that. And um, it's so funny because I have an equal, I really liked, now it's important to realize before I say any of this, that I am in love with the Murphy School. I mean, that's my, probably my favorite place to perform. It just feels so good. It's got a kind of, you know, I mean, you know, a little teeny bit of a feel like the Globe Theater. So it's just incredible. And the light is just magical. It's just all times of day, it's magical. And I think the acoustics are sublime and the balcony, but I will say I liked the, um, the, the le- Kennedy was kind of fun, you know, cause it's there in the middle of the city. And um, it's just got this, it just had a kind of, I liked that location as well. I don't know if you remember, but you had to work. Um, you had to do back the backstage work on that one too. Did you know that? Remember that you were doing props and, because someone bailed no, out at the last minute. So you were back there with us backstage wearing all black and like doing tech <laughs> stuff. It was really funny. <laughs> I've, I've put that out of my mind. Uh, no, it was funny. But surprisingly, you know, it's a real um, testament to the personality of Burning Coal that it didn't feel in any way different. The company seemed to have the exact same philosophy and approach to theater in both of the locations, despite the fact that they were very different, you know? Yeah, yeah. So very that nice. was really nice to know that because, you know, Bernie Cole's just got that special feel that not all not all theaters pull off. Well, you you gave me uh, my favorite compliment about our, our space um, and one that I quote often. Do you, do you remember? What you said that time in the lobby after a show. What did I say? I say <laughs> I talk so much, Jerry, so I can't. Well, you seem to be talking to yourself. The, the door burst open. You were the first person out. It was the end of a performance. And I was standing out in the lobby and you walked past me and uh, you didn't look at me. Uh, uh, but you <laughs> said very clearly that room loves a play. It does. <laughs> oh, but it's true. That's and then when I came back on for the first rehearsal with this one that was in the theater. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't acted for about eight years now. Wow. And I walked in there and it was just the exact, it just loves, it loves a play. It loves it. Whether you use, no matter how you stage it, whether it's in the round or throughout or whatever you do, it likes it. It's got perfect angles. It, it's just fun. It works well. It compliments you. You, uh, you, ha- you mentioned the Globe earlier, uh, Shakespeare's Globe in, in London. You have worked uh, in uh, Shakespeare theaters uh, before, uh, especially uh, in your pre-Raleigh life. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that, about the work that yes. you did there and elsewhere? Well, that is really, Jerry, I probably have told you this before, but that's really what drew me to theater in the first place. I'd always been an English person and I had kind of wanted to be a journalist I'd been on the newspaper at my school, but then one day in our, I bet a lot of people have this story they could tell. I'm going to start from the beginning and then go quickly to the end, which culminates with burning coal. Um, and we had to do a monologue in my English 11 class. And I did Lady Macbeth. And I just remember it just felt so good. Those words coming out of my mouth. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this feels perfect. It's kind of like the theater loves a play. My mouth loves Shakespeare's Shakespeare's words and writing. And it just felt like there was just a fluency and a rhythm and and just uh, a a relationship that I had with with Shakespeare that I just personally felt. I felt comfortable and at home with it. 
So that ended up making it so when I went to college, even though I was a different major, I always minored in theater and I lucked out. So I went to James Madison, which for anyone who knows a little, for people who know a lot about Shakespeare on, in the United States, James Madison, I was there right when what was then called the Shenandoah Shakespeare Express, but is now called the American Shakespeare Theater. Theater, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's in Stoughton, Virginia, and it's headed by um, Dr. Ralph Cohen and it was a spectacular experience for me. So I auditioned for that during one of its first two years, I got to do it. And we traveled up and down the coast. We went to Edinburgh um, and we would just tour with three plays in rep. And I got to do Measure for Measure, um, Midsummer Night's Dream, Twelfth Night, um, more. My favorite, believe it or not, was Julius Caesar. I got to do Portia and Portia just has this fantastic scene in it where she yeah. just, begs her husband not to go. But that was a big experience with it. And then I did a little bit of it in Atlanta at the Georgia Shakespeare Festival, but they did it a little bit differently because part of what the Shakespeare Company did, which is very similar to Burning Coal, is they a lot of times do stripped down shows where they depend more on kind of the angles of the stage and minimal props. You don't always do shows like that, but a lot of times, and the two times I've been lucky enough to do Shakespeare at your theater, Jerry, um, both times they did it a little similarly to the Shakespeare play, which was just so fun because you get to, I mean, as the Shakespeare company did. Mm-hmm. And um, at your company, I got to do um, Twelfth Night and Much Ado. And I hate to say this, but particularly Twelfth Night, you're, I mean, you're going to be shocked, but I loved playing Olivia. It was sure. so fun. <laughs> yeah, that's the role you were born to play. <laughs> oh my gosh, she was so wonderful. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, that was a great uh, cast all the, all around. Oh, and the director. You always know how to pick the directors, Jerry. It's pretty exciting. Uh, if you do that, uh, you're, you're, I won't say home free, because you do have to have the cast too. But, uh, yes. but I think especially in small theaters where each moment, each gesture has specific meaning. Um, Absolutely. Um, you know, because the audience is right there on it. You can't hide. Uh, behind the depth, uh, you know, distance. There's a fantastic intimacy to the space, which allows for a nice, natural, real-time quality to the whole thing, which is really nice. Yeah. Well, you know, um, one of our uh, regulars, Abby Freilich, uh, went up there and studied at uh, the American Shakespeare Theater, too. Uh, The young lady who was in The Road to Mecca, if you saw that last last fall, she's... uh, and she has something in common with you, which I suspect was developed through that touring um, Shakespeare, but that is your uh, remarkable voice, um, uh, which <laughs> sounds to me like a cannon going off when you talk, which is, which is great. I mean, it's what, it's what directors crave, uh, um, is not, not having to say, I didn't, I didn't hear that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and that, now, is that true, or were you born with that voice? No, that's really funny, Jerry. You just—that's actually a really good thing for you to comment on because it links directly back to that Shakespeare Company I was in. So, when we were in the Shakespeare Company, the one in Virginia, the one through Ralph Cowan, which when I was in it again, it was called the Shenandoah Shakespeare Express. Yeah. But we would tour, and very often we'd be—we'd have to do the shows wherever they told us to do the show, whether it was in a park, in an amphitheater, in a gym, in a classroom, and um, you know sometimes the acoustics were pretty rough. And I would lose my voice a lot because I always had a really husky voice. I was yeah. born with a very—it's not so much anymore because of what I'm about to tell you. 
So I would lose my voice. And one time we were in a space where they were going to have to mic us, but they were one mic short. And they knew about it about a week ahead of time. They're like, we're going to be one mic short. And the director looked at me and he said, we're not going to give you the mic. And I said, why? And he said, because it's time you learned how to use that voice of yours. So he, every day we would have to go for a walk and we would just practice me using my voice properly and practice using my voice properly and practice and practice and practice. And it was effective, maybe a little too effective because I agree with you. I mean, in my day-to-day life, people are often like, Jennifer, you don't, we hear you. We hear you. So I definitely have uh, one of the loudest voices in the room at this point, but I came by it honestly. So I had a, a friend in New York, uh, a guy named Mike Malfitano, who was a tall, lanky Italian guy. And he yeah. was so loud that once in a restaurant, somebody turned to him and said, do you have a microphone? <laughs> <laughs> I had something similar happen once when I was in a coffee shop here in Raleigh. Yeah. And I was with my kids and a woman turns around and she said, do you have to be so loud? <laughs> like so mortified. You said blame Shakespeare. I was so embarrassed. Yes, well, I guess it's better than the alternative that I'd spent the first 17 years of my life losing my voice weekly because it was so kind of husky and just thin. The um, the Beatrice in uh, Much Ado with us was, uh, was one of my favorite uh, memories over the last 25 years. Uh, particularly the, the gulling scene uh, where, where you were put face down in a pool of water. Oh my gosh, that was so funny. <clears throat> yeah. I loved Did, that. Was, was that uh, as uh, challenging uh, as the, for an actor to do as it seemed like, or was it just a load of fun? Being in the pool, I'll tell you, Jerry, over the years, there's been two or three things that have proven to me the magic of acting. Very specific things where I'm like, Jen Sahanik doesn't know how to do this. And one of them was walking in high heels, which I had to do in one play there. And I was like, well, you know what? This character knows how to walk in high heels. So she can walk in high heels and she needs to do it well. And so I did. In my day-to-day life, I still can't. But that pool scene also, I was like, I am not, I don't know how to do choreographed comedy or wet comedy or (laughs) that kind. And I was like, you know what? Beatrice is in this situation and you need to make it happen and you need to make it happen well. And she needs to, it was a really great moment that way. And then ultimately it just ended up being so fun because that was an example where the Murphy school, the audience, they just loved it. And it was such a joy to be a part of a little spectacle that was so pleasurable to the audience. I mean, it was fun. You know, I was in a swimming pool on the rolling around in a really nice dress. <laughs> and Jen so Anderson uh, ended up in the same pool uh, a few yes. minutes before you. And uh, what I loved about that is that, you know, most people who know Shakespeare know that scene and, and have, have their favorite version of, of the gulling scenes. Yes. Called, uh, but there was something inevitable about that that staging that just washed all the others away. Yes. Nobody that ever saw that production, I think, remembers any other version of it. Um, and uh, so I, that was that was one of my because answers. usually it's just hiding behind chairs and like doing you know expressions yeah. like oh, but yeah. with this one there was like a pool and I the fact that you got to do so much fun with hiding your head and then blowing water out and it was just yeah. it was hilarious. That was fun. Yeah. Oh, and I pretended I was a statue, a fountain at one point. I don't know if you remember. 
Well, uh, you and James both did that. I think that was fun. And one of you, I can't remember, spat, spat water out. I like think a, that was James. James came quite naturally to it. He's funny. Yeah, we miss him. He's up in Virginia now for some unexplained reason. That I thought he was. Running his own theater company now, I think. Well, that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's a, he's in a fairly small town in Southern Virginia, but he's been around, been doing it for five or six years now. Um, Jen, um, so so it started through a love of language and particularly through a love of Shakespearean language. Yes. Had, had you had any thought of acting before that? Um, not really. I'm, Jerry, you're going to laugh and you're allowed to laugh at this. I'm actually super shy. Like whenever I do my sabbaticals <laughs> from acting, I know it's crazy, <laughs> but I'm really, I'm a really, really, really shy person. So um I'm really socially awkward, Jerry. I mean, these are real secret things that everybody knows, but I still act, we all, we all act like it's a secret. But I'm one of the most socially awkward people I know. So as a result, probably early on, Jerry, I definitely lived up to the all the world's a stage thing because I had to learn how to talk to people. Now, anytime, Jerry, I say this to anyone, everyone says, it, it's the same for everyone, Jennifer. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. I have low level panic attacks. So I guess, Jerry, what I'm trying to say is after being tremendously shy and just socially terrified all the time, right around eighth grade, I was like, you've got to learn how to do this. You've got to learn how to interact better with people. So no. I just started really observing people and taking notes. And I was like, ask questions, listens to answers. People like when you laugh at what they say. And so I'm probably defining right now that I have a, like maybe possibly an undiagnosed special need, which is okay. I'm okay with that. But long story short, I think in a weird way, it was just a natural trans transition. Once I was more comfortable socially, then to take those skills I'd honed though and put them in the field of theater. Um, I will admit, Jerry, you know, I'm not much of a singer or a dancer. And so I never was drawn to that because I can't. We're doing Spoon River in our summer summer camp this year. Uh, we're going to be- uh, yeah. I saw that on the sign outside of the theater, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. We're going to do it with the aerial, uh, aerial company that work to, uh, they do aerial and clowning. And I thought um, it might be an interesting thing for young people to, because now they can spend more time on the aerial outside of the text. Oh, and not wow, the, yes in three weeks, try to learn to handle both things. So, so they're going to each have, you know, monologues, uh, but then they'll also have significant amounts of work uh, uh, in, in the background, uh, you know, so I think it's a, a good fit, but I also feel like right now it's kind of a interesting thing to think about the, you know, the people who have passed on, you know, yes. moved, moved on as, as we hopefully knock on wood come out yes. of the, because all those poems are their tombstone, are what they have either yeah. written on their or just what they're saying from the dead. So yeah, that's uh, really yeah. perfect. The voices of the dead. I love that. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite. Um, one of my favorite poems is in Spoon River. Yeah. Um, hopefully they'll do it. Well, let me know what it is, and we'll make sure we do. Yeah, I, it's George Gray, I think. It's really good. You should. Oh, yeah. 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 He's the one about the sail, the boat, and he wants to live life. And he looked at his, he never sailed. And he's like, I wish I'd let live life. You've got to do it and go out there and open your, I don't know. It's really beautiful. It sounds like you're not, uh, you're not making that mistake in your life. Uh, I don't think so. I try not to, Jerry. I work really hard to try things and um, then commit myself to them. 
has uh, has COVID uh, hurt hurt you uh, in terms of uh, what you want to do uh, or how your family has uh, been able to do the things they wanted to do as a unit? I know your children are growing now. They are. They're now 16 and 14. They're really amazing. I'll tell you, it's funny. I could comment. Professionally, I actually, frankly, was probably one of the few professors that enjoyed it because I really loved teaching through Zoom and interacting with the students that way and using the chat box and the breakout room. So I actually kind of thrived through that Zoom hybrid. I it was really great for me, especially because remember I mentioned I'd always was a little shy. Believe it or not, even though I'm a professor, I get kind of nervous in front of my classes. So it was a really mm -hmm. nice way to teach with complete com being comfortable and not feeling insecure, which so it was great professionally for me. I really enjoyed it, frankly. Um, again, all of this you need to keep in mind, despite the fact that, that it was an extreme tragedy. As far as the family goes, I will tell you, my children will completely disagree with what I'm about to say. But I actually really valued getting to spend those. I really valued getting to spend that year and a half with them. I mean, every day we were taking um, a family walk, which now they're like that. I can't believe we did that for a year and a half. And I was like, well, it was great. So every day we take a family walk at right around the same time. And we were just having better dinners and we started every night we'd watch like an hour. So it kind of in a weird way, Jerry brought back the values of a nuclear family that had been kind of lost in the hustle and bustle of life, you know, because, yeah. you know, I think in the world today, we're all trying to achieve and achieve and be like great at this or great at that, especially a lot of times parents, we make the, the mistake of being like, you've got to not just play soccer, but you've got to be the best. You've got to do this and be the best. So it was like it was kind of a nice splash in the face for me to be like, you just enjoy your kids and enjoy your family. And it was really, it was nice. So I secretly enjoyed it. I'm glad to hear it. I think you're not alone with that. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of people had a similar experience. Simi and I were walking, you know, she's been working from home since almost from day one of the pandemic. Yeah. We were walking through our neighborhood three times a day, you know, we're, yes. I was getting like 15,000 steps a day. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't I, kept it up. but uh, I do want to say, I do think it wasn't great for their age because at their age, as everyone knows, you know, they got to have that social interaction. And I think, yeah. so I was very grateful once they could go back to school because I was like, they need to be with their peers. So Absolutely. that was good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, what do you want to do um, going forward? Uh, what, what, what would you like to do as a as an artist as a teacher as a person well uh jerry um let's think i have a couple things i want to do i i don't know if you okay so do you want me to talk about theater stuff first or yeah, whatever's on your mind i really have enjoyed this experience coming back to theater after eight years like i said it's not the first time i've taken basically a big break from theater and i always find when i come back i remember why i love it so much particularly this one. It's such a treat doing Carol Churchill. It's such a treat working with um, Anna. She's such a good director and Mark. It's just really fun. I love acting, especially in really smart plays like this that yeah. are have a nice conversational and performative quality to them. Yeah. Um, I just like it. It feels good. I like language. I like, and I like acting. I always forget that I like acting, Jerry. It's funny, but I, I do. I, I think it's fun. It feels good. It's like, it just feels good. So I have enjoyed doing this little thing with acting and it's made me realize maybe it wouldn't be so bad to do some acting periodically, but I, so, so that's the acting thing. 
But the next thing is, as far as teaching goes, I love teaching. See, I will admit something to you, Jerry. I've always wanted to. I, I don't know if you know this, but I do a lot of writing. And I've probably no, written like over, over 70 poems and probably like about 20, 25 short stories. And probably, I think I've written three half-finished novels. I think I have three of them. So I've always thought that I would love to spend a little time like honing those a little bit more and editing them and um, maybe trying to get them published somewhere, something like that. Nice. That's really nice. Uh, I know. I really like writing and it's fun. I like, I like a, writing a stories. I like writing poems and stories and reading them. Do you have a routine uh, as a writer? Well, usually what happens is I'll be driving my car and all of a sudden I'll be like, did it and I'll be like, oh my gosh. And then I'll pull over and I'll sometimes will get my phone out and I have a note section and I'll write the poem down or the story down. And then I'll come back later and I'll write it up and edit it. And a lot of times I think you'll find that a lot of actual writers will say this, that there's something about the early morning when you have that first cup of coffee and I wake up earlier to take my kids to school, except to take them to school at 640. And there's something about that time period where you can just write or edit very well it's just really productive time works very well at that time of day for production and it's just i speak it out loud a lot and i um i just really like it do you really, write dialogue well do i write dialogue well yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, i would say that i was like that's funny you should say that i i think i do write dialogue really well i read a lot of um um Raymond Carver yeah. and um, a lot of um, there's another author that I like a lot. Ray well, J.D. Salinger. Um, sure. Have you ever read Nine Stories by J.D. Salinger? No. They're amazing. And I mean, there's some slightly offensive things in them at this point. Just I want to give that little red flag, but they're amazing. And his ability to like kind of write about small moments and have interspliced um, description of character and moments of what could be decided, could be labeled insignificant dialogue, but it's quite significant, are just brilliant. And that's a big part of what inspires me in my own writing is J.D. Salinger's Nine Stories. It's a great book. Interesting. Well, I was just wondering uh, about the dialogue because um, I wondered if you'd ever taken a stab at a play or thought about taking a stab at a play. No, that's funny you should say that. We would write little, just every now and then at night, when it was late at night, we would write little one-act plays together and My we would just read them to read them together. And it was, they were really funny because he's brilliant. A, brilliant and B, yeah. one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And I remember like around the time Kurt Cobain died, remember? When yeah, Kurt, sure. We wrote this like really funny, but poignant um, little one act play about that. I mean, it's been thrown away since then. It was just yeah. something we did as a hobby and it was, um, they were good. And I've always thought about that, that I would love to, cause I just really like a good script. Like I really like Mamet and um, I know Mamet's offensive on some levels, but part of what I love about him is, is his conversational quality, if you can pull it off in the acting, it's like a real conversation. And yeah, I didn't mean that as condescending as that sounded when I said, if you can pull it off with the acting, I just mean, it's hard to pull off his dialogue because it's so like we really talk. And frankly, yeah. I think Carol Churchill's a little similar that way. That well, in this play for sure. And, it's and so similar to the way we talk in real life that when you see that on a page, you've got to get it just right. Otherwise it sounds weird. 
you know, and I think Mammoth has that in common too. So all, I love reading scripts like that. And because I like reading scripts like that, it, those are the kind of things that do make me think I'd love to do a little play writing or script writing. Someday. Well, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if one of your half finished novels might be half finished because it's really a play and you're just, you just haven't put it in the right form yet. There's one of them that's like all dialogue and it's, yeah. um, it's cute. It's cute. Thank you. Well, uh, Jen, let's uh, let's wrap up uh, uh, by talking just a little bit about what if, if only you're you're in both productions, but uh, are I'm you? I'm not in air. You're not in air at all. No. Okay. Um, what no. if, if only is uh, essentially a two character play until uh, uh, there's a revelation near the end that we won't give away. But uh, uh, but uh, tell me about it just a little bit. What what does it mean to you? What do you think an audience will take out of it, if anything? Well. Okay. Um, it means a lot to me. I remember our first day of rehearsal, I had just gotten done teaching and um, I wrote on, a, and I'm saying that only because I had just gotten done writing like um, surveys and questionnaires for, my, for my, my students in my professional writing class, we make surveys and questionnaires. So I just finished teaching them how to make good multiple choice questions. And I remember on our first day of rehearsal, I was just doodling during break. And I said, what it, do you think, what do you think this play is? Which of the following? colon, and then I wrote a dream, <laughs> um, a ghost story, a reality, the inside of his mind being insane. And I was like, which of the above? And I was like, or all of the above. And it's been funny because I've revisited that not on purpose, but only because it's the beginning of my notes that I keep for the thing. And yeah. I keep thinking about it. And I definitely think it's what I love about this play is when people ask me what it's about, I'm like, it's 20 very significant minutes from a man's life or a person, but in our production, it's a man who is mourning the loss of a loved one. And they're having trouble transitioning and accepting that they're gone. And these are the 20 minutes in their life where they finally, through a small little kind of revelation, you know, cathartic conflict moment, climax moment, they're finally able to accept, okay, I have to have a future without this person. I think that's what it's about. Yeah. Now, because it's a play, my character's there. And my character is sort of his old love, but also his old love in the form of also the reality. Like, it's almost like I'm a shapeshifter who can kind of be his real love. But then later when I come back in, I'm sort of the present. And I'm like that inner voice, but um, personified, the inner voice. And at times he needs that inner voice to be the woman he loves. At times he needs it to be someone who is saying to him, she's not here anymore, you know, you, or they're not here. The play does a really good job actually keeping pronouns kind of they or unspecific, which I think is actually really interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think the play is about. Did that answer the question? Yeah, it does. Um, I, uh, I, the last question I would have then is uh, that, because that sounds a lot different than, for instance, uh, Olivia or, or Beatrice. Um, how do you approach a character like that or do you approach it in the same way like do you do you think about the character's background do you think about what they wear uh, how they talk how they walk or or is there something else that you're trying to hook on to as an actor that's a really good question jerry um for one thing you know the director's directing it so that the whole thing's kind of neutral which i think is cool like she's trying to keep it neutral and i'm not I don't, she's never said directly why, but for me, that makes it so it could almost be anyone, like anyone's experience with this, which I frankly, I like. As far as me approaching it, again, going kind of with that concept, I decided to not create any kind of 
strange backstory, but Mark, the other actor, starts out with a um, five-minute monologue, I think. And my character's kind of there, but a little bit backstage, but listening to it. By listening to him and listening to me, and it's kind of like this approach I take to every Shakespeare play I do. I go in, it's kind of the same, Jerry. I just go in and I look at every clue that's there, everything that's said, all the illusions, even the things that are only halfway said or the things that are repeated. And I get the clues from that. He says a lot about my character. He says things like, we disagreed. He says, you would have liked that. He said, you could be difficult sometimes. And um, he says all these things, but then also just, so I guess I approach it a lot like I approach every play, Jerry, when I'm doing the right kind of acting. I'm just trying to really be true to the script. And so you see it there. It's the, she, care, she puts clues throughout every line of it, including the clues simply by the repetition of certain phrases. And then the slight change in those reputation, repetitions to indicate that there's been a change in the acceptance level. But mostly, Jerry, I'll say some of the best work has come from when he and I, Mark and I were able to get really off book. And from the two of us just talking and being able to listen to each other and hear each other, because he, this is why I say he's really, it's really a crucial 20 minutes from his life where he's having this transition of acceptance. And we're doing that together because I'm either his inner voice or what have you. You can think of it as a ghost story or what you want. And together we're getting him there. As as with Spoon River Anthology, it does feel like a play for the moment in in a sense. Um, Yes. um, Jen, uh, it's uh, something I'm very much looking forward to. I've deliberately held myself out of the equation because I do trust uh, you and Mark and Anna uh, tremendously. And, uh, you know, I had seen the production over in London and I so I I didn't want to smear it with uh, my memories. Of yes, it. yes, 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 yes. Well, I know we're out of time here, but we, Mark and I, one thing we've said and Anna and talked to Anna about it, yeah. is that it's funny because more than most plays I've ever done, there's a million different ways you could do this one. And pretty much he and I have said, agreed that anyone could play these two roles. Anyone. Yeah. You could have them the same gender, different genders. Um, change you could have them be old young any and you could have the characters have totally different personalities different ethnicities and it would still work because that's part of what's so brilliant about it too that it has a really nice universal quality to this is something like you said jerry people go through i mean every one of us has gone through mourning on some level and whether it's been difficult to mourn, difficult to let go, difficult to move forward. And when we've moved forward, we've been changed, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. Um, But we've moved forward, ideally. And that's a big part of what this play is about, moving forward. Not fooling yourself into thinking it's going to be better or worse, but moving forward. And I do like that. And I agree with you. It's very timely. Very timely. But it'll always be timely. That's another part of what I'm trying to say. I think it could always be timely, which is another thing that's really brilliant about it. I, I, I uh, listened to the playwright Jez Butterworth talking about his play Jerusalem, which is on on the West End right now with Mark Rylance. And okay. Butterworth said this is, a, this is a play about someone who wants to stay but knows he has to go. And um, and I think this that could apply to this play as very well. Very much so. And that's pretty broad. That's pretty open-ended. It's very broad. It's not a human being who hasn't had that experience or if they haven't, they will. They it's will. Kind of, you know. And <laughs> I agree with you because it's also one of the hardest transitions to do. 
because a lot of times you're making that transition involuntarily and, um, and abruptly. Yeah. And abruptly. So it's, it's kind of great. It's got that whole existential quality, not to sound goofy, but, um, a lot of times people say no matter, well, just that you've got to, no matter what your existence are like, part of how you can be happy is if you can find the happiness in the circumstances you were given, no matter what they are, find the joy there, find some level of meaning, not even joy, but some level of meaning. Um, and I like that. I've always thought that was really nice that I've always thought that was a really nice sentiment, finding some meaning in something, yeah. no matter Martin what it Luther, is. Martin Luther King Jr. said, uh, if you're going to be a street sweeper, be the best street sweeper. That exactly. Ever yeah. Kurt, he said it much better than I did. I love that. That's well, exactly what it is. That's why we have the edit uh, capacity here. At the <laughs> Jen, uh, this has been great. I'm looking forward to seeing you on our stage again. And uh, the plays are What If, If Only, um, and Air, two very short plays, uh, runtime about 35 minutes total um, by Carol Churchill, uh, the great uh, playwright uh, Carol Churchill, starring uh, Mark Filiacci and Jen Sahanik. Um, and that is June 9th through the 26th at Burning Coal Theatre Company. Tickets at burningcoal.org or 919-834-4001. Jen, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time today as well. And I, I look forward to seeing you at the show. Absolutely. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you so much for listening. Our second stage production of What If, If Only, and Air will run from June 9th through the 26th. For tickets and more information, visit us at burningcoal.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.